Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 21st of May 2023, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurtz speaking on the Ascension of Jesus. Well, you know, it must be really terrible to be the one who always comes in second place. Or perhaps the one who is regularly forgotten altogether. Now, it would be a bit controversial to mention Prince Harry at this point, so I won't mention him. Think back instead to the 1980s, if you remember the 1980s, and think back to the pop group Wham! If you remember back to Wham!, you probably remember back to George Michael. He's the one that will instantly come to mind with the rather less remembered partner, Andrew Ridgely, being largely forgotten. Perhaps pop music's not your scene, so think back to the moon landing in the year I was born, 1969. When you think of the moon landing, if you believe that happened, which uh, most people do, people think of the first person to walk on the moon, which was this man, Neil Armstrong, with rather less people remembering the second person to walk on the moon, although some people do, Buzz Aldrin. Perhaps even this is a bit recent for you. So let's go back to the Victorian age and think of the Bronte sisters. When we think of the Bronte sisters, we tend to think of these two first, Emily and Charlotte. Rather less people think of their sister Anne, let alone their brother Bramwell, who were also quite gifted uh, novelists in one case and an artist in the other. Or if you're a football fan, if you think of England's triumph in the World Cup in 1966, most people will recall this person first, hat-trick hero Jeff Hurst, with rather less people remembering the other goal scorer in that final for England, Martin Peters. Why do I start that way? Well, it's rather similar to the Christian year. You see, from the perspective of the general public, there is one main event in the Christian year, and that, of course, is Christmas. Christmas, for a lot of people, particularly people outside the church, is clearly the most important event. And even very secular people know that at least in its origin, Christmas is about God coming to earth in the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, for most Christians, the importance of Christmas usually goes along with the realisation that there's a pretty good case for making Good Friday and Easter the most important of all. Because Good Friday and Easter Day, they mark the time when uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus dealt with sin and evil and death and defeated those enemies. Now, for most Christians, important, of lesser importance, but still on the map, is Pentecost. Coming up next Sunday, when we mark the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why? So God's presence could live amongst his people. But what about Ascension Day? That day that occurred this last Thursday, which marks Jesus 40 days after his resurrection ascending into heaven. Ascension Day is very much the poor relation in terms of Christian festivals, isn't it? It's the also-ran. It's the Andrew Ridgely, really, of Christian festivals. Now, part of the reason for this is its timing. Ascension Day is always on a Thursday. Why? Because it's 40 days after Easter, which is always on a Sunday. Now, in the past, Ascension Day meant a half-day holiday for schoolchildren. Any of you as schoolchildren get a half-day holiday on Ascension Day? Obviously goes further back than anyone here. 
Some churches still hold Ascension Day services on a Thursday evening, but it's generally pretty difficult to get anyone to go, which is why we tend to now mark it on either the Sunday before Ascension Day or the Sunday after we're doing the latter. But rather than its timing, rather than because it's on a Thursday, there's a more important reason why Ascension Day generally goes by unnoticed, and it's this. Most people, including most Christians, simply don't get why the Ascension of Jesus is such a big deal. Christmas, Good Friday, Easter Day and Pentecost, they are all relatively easy to understand. But why is, why is it important that this happened? Why is it important that Jesus ascended into heaven? Isn't it just repeating what's important about the resurrection? Or, to give an alternative explanation, isn't it just the negative that's required for the positive of Pentecost to occur? In other words, Jesus has to be absent for the Holy Spirit to be present. So we've got to have ascension, the sort of necessary negative, if we want the wonderful positive of Pentecost to occur. Jesus needing to be absent for the Holy Spirit to be present. Well, no, none of those answers are the right ones. The reason why the ascension is important, vital, actually, to the Christian faith, is because it marks the moment when Jesus' sovereign rule over this earth was established. But how can that be so, when the ascension was about the risen Jesus leaving the earth and ascending into heaven? doesn't seem to make sense at first sight, does it? But the way to understanding why this does make sense is by appreciating a bit more the way that the Bible presents the nature and particularly the relationship between heaven and earth. You see, ask most people, Christian or non-Christian today, what Christians are meant to believe about heaven and earth, and you'll tend to get an answer suggesting that they're different places far apart from one another. But that's not actually the way that the Bible presents heaven. The way the Bible presents heaven and earth is actually rather different. It presents them as two interlocking dimensions of present reality, with earth being that dimension that we see and we experience most obviously with our five senses, and heaven being that dimension which is just as real and just as present, but is normally unseen. It contains the spiritual powers, both positive and negative, that surround us the whole time, and more than surround us, actually control what is happening on earth. Heaven, in the Bible, in other words, is the control center for earth. And when Jesus ascends into heaven and is enthroned as king there, it means that he simultaneously becomes the one who rules on earth. The one who reigns in heaven rules on earth because heaven is the control center for the earth. Now, that might be understandable in intellectual terms, but it throws up another big problem, doesn't it? When we look at this earth and all of the dreadful things happening within it, Jesus can truly look the last person who is ruling over it. Or we might think if Jesus is ruling over the earth, he's doing an incredibly bad job. Surely people could be forgiven for thinking it's more accurate and more plausible to see evil as presently in charge of the world with Christianity representing the hope that that will one day no longer be the case. 
Now, as I say, that perspective is completely understandable. Given all the hardship, given all the suffering, given all the disappointment within this world, perhaps within the lives of some of you, possibly in the past, perhaps in the present, when we're battling th with things that are heartbreaking and difficult and tragic and overwhelming, it can stretch our faith to breaking point. And surely it's enough to suggest that all this stuff about Jesus already reigning over the world, well, that's just naive rubbish. And it's evidence, all the bad stuff in the world, all the terrible stuff that happens, it's evidence that while Jesus might one day rule over this world, that certainly isn't the case at the moment. Now, help is at hand if we're tempted to think along those lines. And help is at hand in the form of the vital background to the ascension that we need to understand if we're going to really get it. And that comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is that book which, of course, is most famous for Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6. It's actually Daniel chapter 7, which is the really crucial verse in that fairly brief book of just 12 chapters. As much as anything, because it helps us to understand the ascension. You see, Daniel is a book which wrestles with precisely what I've just been referring to, the seeming dominance of evil within the world. When the book of Daniel is written and there's debate about that, evil appears to be in charge through all of these oppressive world empires. And the book of Daniel wants to show what they're really like. So it uses the imagery of horrific, grotesque, ugly beasts. Not because that's what these empires literally looked at, looked like. They presented themselves as very glitzy and very glamorous and very empowering for people. Rome and Greece and Persia and all these empires, hanging gardens of Babylon and all that sort of thing. The writer of Daniel, rather like the writer of Revelation in the New Testament, wants to show people the reality. So they use this symbolic imagery to show what these empires, these oppressive institutions are really like. And not least to show the spiritual powers that are perpetuating this evil. That's one thing the book of Daniel does. Another thing is to be really honest about the suffering that comes as a result. Daniel is really about, and this is where the stories of Daniel and his friends come in, about people staying faithful to God and having to endure the most terrible times because of it. But then we get chapter 7. As I say, that crucial chapter in the book of Daniel where you get those beasts being destroyed, they're destroyed one by one, and then in complete and direct contrast to those inhuman, grotesque beasts, we get one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven and approaching the Ancient of Days, that's God, and this is the crucial bit, to receive authority, glory, and sovereign power. And what the book of Daniel is saying, when we read uh, the whole of it, is that it's through the suffering of God's anointed leader and his followers that this rule is established. The reason he's given glory, honor, sovereign power is because of his obedient suffering and the obedient suffering of those who belong to him. Now, jump back to the account of the ascension in Acts chapter 1, and that makes sense of some of the details that we see. Right at the start, we didn't have this bit read, but right at the start of Acts chapter 1, it refers to Jesus' suffering. 
Do you see at the top there? In blue, before it goes on to talk about Jesus showing himself. After his suffering, the suffering obviously has been a really crucial thing, the writer of Acts is saying. And then, later on, when it talks about Jesus ascending into heaven, it deliberately uses this Danielic imagery, imagery drawn from Daniel chapter 7, of a cloud hiding him from their sight. It was enduring evil, his suffering obedience, that formed the path to Jesus defeating that evil through his death, wasn't it? And then being enthroned as king over the world. And actually that pattern continues in Jesus' followers. As the book of Acts continues, we see a continued emphasis on the kingdom or the rule of Jesus over the world, continuing to spread, not least through the suffering of Jesus' followers. It doesn't add something to Jesus' suffering death. It sort of applies it. Jesus' death then works through the suffering of his followers in extending his kingdom. And the ascension of the crucified and risen Jesus, therefore, well, it proclaims that Jesus is ruling over this world and is continuing to deal with evil, largely through Christians being prepared to suffer, through continuing to respond to that evil with love. So why is the ascension important? Why is it important that we continue to mark it, that we continue to remember it, and that we have some sort of handle on what it means? Well, the answer is this. The ascension can give us so much more confidence to get on with the job that we've been called to as Christians. If we really believe in the truth of the ascension, it will make a massive difference to us. It will make a massive difference to us being part of the extension of the rule of Jesus, the kingship of God over this world, chiefly through acts of love and care for others, particularly those who are poor. You see, if we believe, whether we believe this consciously or we basically believe it by default, that evil is in charge of this world, if we really believe the world's so awful that evil must basically be in charge, we'll never be able to keep up the motivation to do really much in response to that, particularly in those times when the reality of evil seems really, really obvious and active. But if we believe, if we have the faith to believe that Jesus really did become sovereign over this world through his ascension, if we really believe in our hearts and with our minds and with our actions that the one who reigns in heaven rules on earth, and if we further believe that the path to that sovereignty of Jesus is precisely through his suffering, it's not in spite of his suffering, the path to Jesus being enthroned as king over this world was through his suffering and the continued suffering of his followers, then we will be motivated to keep going. And we'll know that when evil kicks back, when we receive a real kicking, when we've tried to show love in response to evil, when we've tried to show moral courage in a really difficult situation, when we receive a vicious backlash, which we will, we'll realize that doesn't indicate, therefore, that evil is in charge of this world. We'll know it shows that it's a defeated enemy. It's kicking back because we are proclaiming at that moment the ascension of Jesus, his sovereignty over the world.
and the powers of evil don't like it, and they kick back in all sorts of horrible and vicious ways. All of us, without exception, find it hard to keep responding to evil with love, don't we? We find it difficult in the workplace. We sometimes find it difficult within our own families. We find it difficult when we're being oppressed by difficult neighbours or perhaps people in other settings making our lives a bit of a misery. It's also the same with the mission of the church, where we can face numerous setbacks which can have the potential to make us feel like chucking the whole thing in and giving up. But the ascension of Jesus Christ is there to assure us that it's vital to keep going. However bad things in the world can sometimes look, the ascension of Jesus declares that the right person is in charge of this world. And it declares that he is dealing with the bad stuff. And that's why we see when we act in faith, alongside and through the disappointments of life and its hardships, that's why we then see amazing examples of love continuing to roll back evil and defeat it. So the ascension of Jesus is a really vital, a really crucial Christian doctrine. Something that we mustn't forget, we mustn't relegate, we mustn't uh, leave back in the also-ran category. We must remember the ascension of Jesus. Even if we forget it on Ascension Day itself, we must continue to remember it throughout our lives. It's actually for the whole year round, actually, that we must remember its significance. So let's remember the ascension of Jesus and its importance. Let's not let it be the Andrew Ridgely, the Buzz Aldrin, the Anne Bronte, or the Martin Peters of Christian festivals. Let's say a prayer. Father God, we can all struggle with the hardships of life and we can be utterly perplexed with things happening in the world on both a global scale, on a national scale, on a local level, within our own lives. We can look at things that are happening and shake our head because it looks sometimes for all the world that evil is in charge. But we thank you, Lord God, for the ascension and what it proclaims. That your son, Jesus Christ, is reigning in heaven and therefore ruling over this earth. And we pray, Lord God, that inspired by the truth of that, we would keep up the motivation to work for you, to continue showing love in the face of evil, to continue being obedient to you and showing moral courage and all of the things you call us to do, confident that your son reigns over this world. We pray that you would help us to understand this more deeply, that you'd burn it into our hearts so that it would govern the way we act. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.